What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Rick, store director from the Mill Valley Safeway. Our pick four sales back with over 100 items to choose from. It's simple. Mix and match any four participating items. That's right, any four. They don't have to be the same, so mix and match away. Here's a few to choose from. Lean Cuisine and Stouffer's Simple Dishes or Signature Classics Entrees, 6 to 13 ounce selected varieties, only $1.77, and Kellogg's Cereal 10 to 12 ounce, $1.69 each. When you buy four, look for the red tags in store. This is Rick from the Mill Valley Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Take the baseline out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you this time without Andy Bailey. I am, however, very excited to be joined by MBA Maths' own Tim Stubbs, who has been kind enough to hop on and talk to us about the 2017-2018 Brooklyn Nets, everybody's favorite NBA team. Uh, How are you doing tonight, Tim? Doing great, Dan. How are you? I'm not too bad. Um, I'm ready. I didn't think I'd say this, and maybe I'm not ready, but I guess I'm ready for the NBA season now. There was that period where I was getting kind of annoyed that it wouldn't slow down so I could get a break, but now when you look on Twitter and everyone's getting excited about Seti Osman chase down blocks... It was the American Idol premiere that has everyone singing its praises. I'm speechless. But if you thought night one was good. I'm starting to get numb from all the good talent. You ain't heard nothing yet. Tonight, witness an unforgettable performance that moved the judges to tears. You have wrecked me. And the greatest audition Idol has ever seen. I'm in the presence of greatness. American Idol, tonight, 8, 7 central on ABC. Euro basket, it's it's like hey, it's it's time to get to October. Completely agree. Uh, when does the season start again? I don't even know the exact date anymore. They pushed it up two weeks. Was it the seventeenth? This is this is pretty bad. Now I'm, I'm going to look this up right now while we're on here because I feel like everything screwed me up with the, them pushing it up um, two weeks this year, which I thought was smart. But I believe it tips off on the. Was I right? Was I wrong? What do we got over here? Yep, the 17th. So we have Boston and Cleveland. That'll be fun. I think we also have, what is it, Houston and who are they playing on opening night? Why can't I think of this? Is it Warriors. Not Gold- it's got to be Golden State, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that blanked on that. But we are here to talk about a team that is better than all four of those squads combined, and that would be the Brooklyn Nets. Um, a lot happened. What? Well, with their offseason. Brooke Lopez is gone. You make that trade for D'Angelo Russell. You serve as an epic salary dumping ground to bring in Damari Carroll and Aaron Crabb and Timothy Mozgov. And they probably don't view Alan Crabb as an actual salary dump because they wanted him. But what was your general impression of of the Brooklyn's offseason? If you even had to to kind of, let's consolidate. If you had to give them a grade for what they did over the summer, what would you give them? Um... I'd say something in like the B plus A minus range Um, to expand on that. Like Sean Marks has been the Nets GM has was inherited maybe like the worst situation (laughs) ever (laughs) for an NBA team. Um, And just kind of like what he's done in the, I think like 18 months since he first started has been kind of nothing really short of incredible. Um, so I, I, you know, some people might disagree with how he does things, but I love his strategy of trying to chase down, um, the restrict young restricted free agents. And then when those teams match the offer sheets, like, which has happened with, uh, crab and blanket on the other Tyler Johnson and Otto Porter, um, that like he basically uses their like infinite, well, I guess it's not infinite anymore, but what was infinite cap space to uh, get some picks back. So for me, I think that's amazing. 
nah, you might disagree. <laughs> no, I don't think – my problem with their offseason – I won't even get into my problem with their offseason. What he's done has been fantastic. Uh, I was around the team a little bit last year, and they didn't have the feel of a 20-win t- team basically at every point. It wasn't like they were celebrating losses. You could sense it in the locker room, but they were unified in a way that they never were. Uh in previous regimes it's been a while and I think Brooke Lopez said it a bunch last year that this was basically the best situation he was in since he joined the Brooklyn Nets and he's been through uh he was through a lot while he was there and it's not it's not even Marks it's Kenny Atkinson kind of the culture that those two have helped install they have these high character guys that they've brought in Trevor Booker is one of them Jeremy Lin is another guy uh Randy Foy who's not on the team anymore but he was fantastic for them last year from that leadership perspective so I like what they've done and they've restocked a cupboard that was barren when Sean Marks first took over and you just look at what they've been able to turn some of uh, their trades into Karis LeVert's a legit player he's going to be really good and I'll I'll stand by that I think he's probably uh, by far right now their best prospect even more so than D'Angelo Russell who let's not forget is two years removed from being the number two overall pick in the draft and by many metrics and by many skills that he has is already basically an offensive stud. So they're in a better situation than most people think. Even look at Rondé Hollis Jefferson or uh, Sean Kilpatrick, who was really good for much of last year. And I don't know what his future is with the team um, based on all the guards that they have right now, but they have Mm -hmm. a good setup. And even with my my problem, and, and I guess that's what we'll get to, now, my, my lone problem with their offseason was they took on a lot of money for the future, and I don't necessarily know that they needed to do it that quickly. I, I kind of get why they did it, but when you look at how much Carol, Crabbe, and Mozgov make, it's almost $50 million this year, and it's going to be $49.9 million next year. And then once Carol's off the books, you're still going to have $35-plus million committed to Mozgov um, and Crab for that final season. They'll still have some flexibility, but looking at uh, the cost of cap space in the league today and what they were able to kind of get in that Brook Lopez uh, trade to have D'Angelo Russell, if you would have waited, maybe you don't make the Crab move or you don't make the Carroll move. Just holster one of those decisions. You go into next year uh, when cap space will still be at a premium, when everyone's predicting that the market crunch won't have ended, and you'll be in another strong position to get perhaps a top prospect or, or very high-end pick um, just to help some other team out. And maybe you can still get there because you have contracts coming off the books like Booker. Jeremy Lin has that player option. But I just thought that they could have waited, even to the middle of the season, just to see what else was out there as teams were looking to kind of uh, shed some bad deals in a climate where it's going to be expensive to do so. Uh, I agree with that with, for the most part. Um, the only thing is I, I thought – I was perfectly fine with the Carroll and the Russell and Mozgov trades. I thought those, you know, like the only reason why I didn't give the Nets offseason a higher grade, I thought was because of the crab trade. Because I, I don't think you mentioned it yet, but, um, you know, we saw the Lakers, they, they sat out and waited a bit in free agency until the Pistons renounced the rights to, uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope and then got him for one year, 18 mil. Whereas the Nets, had they just sit and waited a little bit longer, they could have, you know, maybe paid a couple more million and got someone like right. Caldwell Pope on the roster for another year instead of having Crab on the roster for the next three and making, I think, something like 18, 19, taking up 18, 19% of the cap, too. No, uh, I think I think that's a great point, and I totally spaced on that. That was a big topic, too. Um And they wanted a player like him. They gave Otto Porter that max offer sheet, and you think that they might have done something to the same effect with with KCP if they were high on him just because they had the clout to do so. And he was kind of named as one of those guys that might get a max contract from them before the offseason even came. So maybe it was just a matter of uh, preference, but you're right. When you look at what happened with the KCP situation, and and they they still had the flexibility to really get into that uh, sweepstakes at the time, and and to not, it, it was really bizarre. But I think it comes back to maybe they they probably don't like that crab deal, but we know they like him as a player. They were the one who gave him that offer sheet. Uh, he, he waved his trade kicker to go there, which for a guy who's never going to get paid like this again is a very big deal. 
Um, mm-hmm. So maybe they just like his fit. And Kenny Atkinson and Sean Marks, Marks love those guys who should be able to switch on defense. Crab was kind of a disappointment there last year, and I'm not sure if that has anything to do with Portland's schemes or, or personnel. But they also love guys who are going to play off the ball. And if he can improve his handling and run some more pick and rolls for them, kind of what they've done with Karis LeVert and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, uh, that that might be a good addition. But I agree with you that uh, – to, to get a player like that for even a year or be able to take that flyer uh, would have been big for them. But the fact, I guess, that we're sitting here and which you kind of alluded to and, and we're going to nitpick over something like that, it's kind of a testament to not just the summer they had but the body of work that's come from both Atkinson and, and Sean Marks. I completely agree. And just, just to expand on one little thing is that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think they had anyone shoot over 40% from three last year. And I saw the Nets had the fourth most three-point attempts. So adding someone like Crab, who is like a 43 44% three-point shooter, is probably going to help <laughs> at the minimum, in, in some respect at least. Yeah, I mean, he so, was deadly spot up. And I'm just saying that your Quincy AC shade right now is off the charts. Okay. That 43.4% three-point clip he shot in 32 appearances is totally sustainable <laughs> over the long haul. Uh, but I, I agree with you there. Who who do you think, who are you most, of all the moves they've made, what, what are you kind of most excited to see? And I think the easy picks might be, and maybe let's just go with the obvious. Who are you most excited to see um, from the new additions they got uh, from this summer? I, I think the obvious picks, obviously, D'Angelo Russell, um, just Atkinson's like pace and space spurs motion offense thing that they've got going on there. I, I think like he's the perfect like player development coach and that he can, if not get the most out of Russell, at least just get him, you know, back to that status he had where he was drafted. So, you know, another, cause he's only 21 years old right now. And people are, have already written him off essentially. So Magic Johnson, sorry, excuse me. Yes. <laughs> so he's the one I'm, I'm definitely most excited to see. I think he can be, at the minimum, uh, a quality starter for years to come. So the And you know Atkinson is going to roll it out. I, the D'Angelo Russell-Jeremy Lin backcourt is going to be a lot of fun, but I'm almost terrified to see what it's going to look like defensively. Yeah, and uh, no one's no one's uh, picking them to make noise <laughs> east this year. So uh, you know, just one one side of the floor at a time. <laughs> so, kind of the less obvious thing, though, uh, and I'm excited to see D'Angelo Russell there too. And I, I, I'm just a huge Alan Crabb fanboy at this point. I still believe in him, so I'm excited to see this. I, I'm just—is there anyone under the radar, new addition or not, at this point that you're, you're really intrigued to see? the progress they might make is it can they can the nets kind of rebound or rehabilitate the mari carroll's value um somehow are you interested to see what spencer dimwitty can do when he's given kind of a full year hopefully with, with this team do you, do you think sean kilpatrick is going to get a chance to do anything special is it just oh jeremy jeremy lynn's healthy let's see what the offense looks like now that he should be on the floor for the most part or ditto with karis lavert and ronde hollis jefferson there's just there's so many guys on this team that I think have an intrigue factor that goes through the roof. Uh, aside from the obvious, who I think at this point is D'Angelo Russell. That's the guy everyone's looking at as the potential cornerstone, as that newcomer who's polarizing. But who else do you kind of have circled on this roster to really watch and dive into next season? Uh, I think for me, it's Karis LeVert. And I feel bad because I, I yes, wrote a piece what a pick. for NBA math. And I, I just like... He kind of fell by the wayside in my, when I was doing my analysis. But, you know, he's he already – I think he had some bad knee, knee issues coming out of college. But he already seems like a pick-and-roll ball handler expert. I think he was in something like the 80th percentile for the NBA as a rookie. Um, but, you know, he, he could be the real deal. And the fact of the matter is that um, – they, he's probably going to get overshadowed by both Lynn and Russell, but you know he could be a great tertiary option. I think he's not a bad outside shooter as well. So he is definitely someone I'm looking forward to see. I also think Mozgov 
and I, I can't see anyone else has said anything like this, but he hasn't really been healthy, I think, since that first half season with the Cavs. And if he's healthy, I think he's due for a bounce back. He looks pretty good in the Eurobasket right now. I was watching some highlights of his earlier today. And I think he could be, you know, a good defensive presence in the paint at the very least for the Nets. And I, that's something that they didn't really even have with Brooke Lopez either. So, Yeah, he'll be interesting. Well, so I'll get to Karis LeVert first. He spectacular. There were just some moments last year. Uh, his first step is lightning quick. Like you said, it looks like he can run some pick and roll. It seemed like his shooting improved whenever he got to play more minutes in a game Mm -hmm. and some of his splits even support that his field goal percentage went through the roof when he was able to play more than 20 minutes a game last season and then it would dip accordingly if he played between 10 and 19 so I think that's a big deal and if you if you hit on him in today's league you have this six foot seven inch swing man with a quick first step who should be able to play off the ball who can run you some pick and roll and it looks like he will be able to switch across a bunch of spots on the defensive end. There, there was a big learning curve there last year, and the Nets weren't good on the less glamorous end last season either. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm sure that learning curve will carry over into this season because he, he missed a large chunk of his of his rookie campaign. So I, I just think his development is obviously huge for the team, and it's probably too soon to say anything sweeping about his future, but they might have... Uh, an, an under the radar guy as a as a potential building block, and I'm not even talking about someone who's going to be a perennial number four, number five option. He looks like someone who could be a number two type guy, or maybe even a number three. And I think that's a big deal to get in the middle to late uh, of the first round, especially for a team like the Nets that is building from scratch without a surefire cupboard. Yes, you have all these flyers, but you don't know necessarily who you'll hit on long term and and he is probably a guy I, I think that he'll be around uh, for a little bit or maybe they'll eventually flip him in a couple of years because his value is so high and they, maybe they don't want to pay him or something but I, I think this is uh, this is one of those staple candidates and he to me might have a better chance of sticking um, as a face for this rebuild than D'Angelo Russell just because of what he should be able to do defensively in the years to come absolutely no no disagreements here Mozgov will be interesting because I assume the Nets will play him and he's really unless you want to use Trevor Booker and Quincy Acey heavy minutes at center or unless you're really high on Jared Allen in his first year he's gonna have to play at some point so I'm just interested to see how they use him because the Nets play fast, and you can't necessarily play fast with Mozgov on the floor. You can try, but if you're going to do that with him, he's going to have to shoot threes just because he's not going to get up the court as quickly, and it'll take him a while to get set into the pick and roller to get down low. So you're going to want him to turn into a quarter respectable outside weapon, and, and I just don't know necessarily how they're going to use him or how they're going to incorporate him into the system that Atkinson likes to run right now what do you kind of envision his ideal role for this team being uh the way I envisioned it and I didn't put a ton of thought into this was that he just mostly be I guess a change of pace rim runner someone you run a ton of pick and rolls he sets screens he cleans up on the offensive end of the floor um, you know, I, I'm now realizing the Nets ran the fastest pace in the NBA um, last offseason. So you're right. He doesn't really fit in with that style of play. But I'm, I'm looking now. The only real big men they have on the roster are Mozgov, Booker, and rookie Jared Allen. So he's going to have to play. Um, can they get extend his range out beyond the three point line? I'm not optimistic on that, but I think he can <laughs> contribute in some ways. They tried to bring him out past the three point line in Denver for a season. I think I can't, I can't remember which year it was, but it was. It's like this big blip on his career slate. Is there is this one year where he shot? It, it's not a ton, but he shot a good number of threes. Um, and just looking at what the Nets did. With Brooke Lopez, they've given the green light to Trevor Booker. And even even looking at the fact that this was a question at his press conference was, uh, will you shoot threes? I think that maybe we might 
see it again. He has to be the rim runner. You want him to be the stationary rim protector. Uh, his role is not to be this kind of sniper, but I, I would not be shocked uh, by any means, especially given the way the Nets handle their shot selection, to see him hoist just a, a ton of triples. So I'm kind of interested to see what happens with that. And as I'm looking now, it, it was uh, Denver in 2013-2014. He shot 24 three-pointers, what feels like somewhat randomly, and he made four of them. So, um, And he's taken, if you look at some of his shooting splits, he some of his shots have come between 16 feet and the three-point line. Uh, so last year with the Lakers, 17% of those shots came between 16 feet and the three-point line. He was not particularly bad in those situations either. He hit 45% of his shots from there, and he's he's been at, again, we're talking low volume, he's been at over 40% from that range since 2014-2015. That might be a potentially big deal because if you can keep him on the floor as maybe a stationary rim protector, it helps improve your defense, which was not good last year. Uh, I, the Nets ranked 23rd in points allowed per 100 possessions, um, and... They could technically fall, especially if they're going to run a lot of wing-heavy combinations that don't include a big, and I don't necessarily know how you implement Timothy Moskov into a plus defender when you're playing at these warped speeds, but if you can get any value out of him offensively, he still seems like he can kind of be a plus presence on the defensive end. Absolutely, and I just got to say, if the Warriors can rehabilitate JaVale McGee and then turn him into a three-point shooter as well something can be done for Moscow hey there was video of JaVale McGee shooting threes the other day was there not it looked like he was banging it a bunch from the corner I'm I I love those videos because they they crop up all over the place now and it's it seemed like they were prevalent especially ahead of the uh, 2016 draft when you you saw uh, Willie Cauley Stein like shooting threes during his workouts and everyone was like oh he's going to be able to be this type of guy so it's a lot easier in practice but if JaVel McGee starts shooting threes I'll be here for that I'm here for Timothy Mozgov to shoot threes as well and that's like to hoist them uh, in bunches and I'm totally here to to see Mozzie whether it's inefficient or not give me his seven foot one inch lumbering frame uh, in the corner spotting up three to four times a game i'll take it i'll watch it and i'll bask in it for sure um i'm I'm right here with you they if you look at this roster too what's very intriguing to me and we talked about this on the side a little bit uh last week like what is going on with some of their guard prospects or wing prospects Uh, joe harris is an interesting three-point shooter uh are they going to run him out? Is Damari Carroll going to take all his playing time? Sean Kilpatrick was a big part of what they did offensively early on, particularly when Jeremy Lin was injured and Isaiah Whitehead was still kind of learning the ropes. And now you have him on a roster with a bunch of guys who can run pick and roll in addition to a healthy Jeremy Lin plus D'Angelo Russell. You didn't know necessarily you had this nice ball handler in Karis LeVert. Uh, he's on an expiring contract now. Have they kind of given up on him? It, it, that that element of their season is going to be understatedly interesting to me. Um, yeah, just just to list off a few names, um, just I guess all these guys could be considered wings between Rondé Hollis Jefferson, Karis LeVert, Alan Crabb, Damari Carroll, Joe Harris, Sean Kilpatrick, KJ McDaniels, and Quincy AC. So, <laughs> you know, unless they're going small ball. 40 minutes a game. Um, some of these guys are going to definitely have a rough time finding playing time. Well, I think they, they bounced KJ McDaniels, I believe. Uh, oh, they did? Yeah, he's with the Raptors right now. So that helps a little bit. Uh, well, I, th- I think the point still stands with the other seven or so. But um... Or Jillian. Let's round up to a Jillian. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like, they, they do – Guys like Spencer Dinwiddie, Sean Kilpatrick, they're interesting. They've shown promise, but, you know, they're like – because I think Sean Kilpatrick is 28 now, almost about to hit 29, uh, or maybe I had that backwards, 27. Yep, 27 going on 28. Okay. But, you know, like it's – you know, you kind of want to give these guys some more playing time to figure out if they they can be – a key factor in your offense for the next couple of years. But otherwise, you know, like someone's got to 
someone's got to hit the bench. And I, I've, if it were up to me, I definitely just want to focus on anyone who's under the age of 25, maybe right. excluding Joe Harris. But um, <laughs> he's a good three-point shooter, but I don't think he's given you anything else. He so. is the hobo's version of Kyle Korver at points. So, <laughs> um, what I think helps, and I this will still be at some point. Maybe it won't be. I mean, maybe it will always be a focus. But because the Nets are trying to win now, yet know that they're not playing for anything special, th- there's going to be a minutes cap on basically everybody to kind of preserve them for mm-hmm. the future. They didn't have anyone who averaged over thirty minutes per game last year. When you look at players that specifically finished on the roster last season, they had nine guys uh, that averaged more than 20 minutes per game. And so we're subtracting Bojan Bogdanovic from the 10 most played players. So there will be room for these other uh, players and flyers to get reps. It's just, it's like you kind of said, I guess you go, you prioritize the younger guys. But you you look at the depth chart, and it's yes, Jeremy Lin and D'Angelo Russell. Those are gonna, those guys are going to receive a bulk of the backcourt minutes. But it gets interesting when when you look at small forward. Are you just going to start Alan Crabb or Damari Carroll and bring Karis Levert off the bench? Do you owe it to yourself to maybe bring Karis Levert into that starting small forward spot? But then again, can you afford to bring all this money? off the bench and it seemed like the Nets really wanted to develop Karis LeVert as a shooting guard last year uh, so it's and if you're going to use Karis LeVert at the two spot Jeremy Lin is not long for Brooklyn and his age kind of implies that but you, mm-hmm. you can't bring the plan shouldn't be hey we're going to bring Karis LeVert off the bench indefinitely which means that you want to eventually slot D'Angelo Russell at point guard yes positions are fluid and they don't matter as much anymore but th- that's going to be an interesting playing time wrinkle because I, th- I think that five guy carousel, so to speak, when you look at Jeremy Lin, Isaiah Whitehead, D'Angelo Russell, Karis Levert, and Sean Kilpatrick, uh, that's going to be interesting to juggle, even with uh, the minutes cap that they'll undoubtedly have placed on everybody. For sure, I and I don't know how what the outlook is for Rondé Hollis Jefferson. I I personally, you know, he's only twenty two. I feel like he's been in the league since two thousand ten. <laughs> But I, you know, I think he shot 22% from three last year. He, I guess he can, he's decent at switching on the defensive end. But do they want to, do you think he's going to be in their long-term plans? Or do you think he's just another body that they picked up along the way? I don't know if he's going to be a part of their long-term plans, but it did seem like they were kind of onto something last year when they decided, hey, he's just a power forward. And mm-hmm. I think that's where they'll probably start him this year, or that's certainly where he's going to play 75 to 80% of his minutes at least. And some of the lineups that they had with him at, at power forward, granted Brooke Lopez was uh, the big in a lot of them, they, they were effective, uh, some of them on both ends of the floor. Uh, they even experimented very, very marginally with him as kind of this five, uh, hybrid five, and the defense was terrible during those stretches when he was on the floor. I don't even know how many minutes it was. I think it was like under 20 minutes total. But the offense hummed, and when you have this many wings, and you listed them off before, and we've kind of indirectly talked about them in these different bundles since we've started, that might be where his value lies, is that if we're talking about them building kind of a baby death lineup, similar to the Warriors' own death lineup, he he's that guy who can maybe play the five because they all of a sudden tried to run him in some pick and rolls. He didn't do a terrible job. His, his assist percentage was better last year. Uh, he looked comfortable doing it for parts, and, and he is. He can hold his own in the post a little bit. I don't necessarily think you want him defending traditional fours or fives, but he gives them that option. And I think when you look at other players who would have to step up into that role, maybe Damari Carroll as that glorified wing going into the four could hold his own, but you don't want to see Alan Crabb doing it. I think it's clear you don't necessarily want to see Karis LeVert doing it, and and that's really it. Those are your options outside of Trevor Booker, who's closer to a traditional bigger or just a, a smaller ball five. So I, I do think he adds that element to what they're building, and a lot of it will probably depend on cost, his health. Maybe there'll be a trade market for him next year, if you can get a mid-end first-round pick, I'm sure it's something you have to explore just because let's look forward to next summer. He's all of a sudden extension eligible, a year out from restricted free agency, and you're probably not necessarily at the point where you should be 
reinvesting uh, in two guys since D'Angelo Russell's now on the same timeline as him in this roster when you have other money wrapped up in Crab and Mozgov and Carroll for a year and when you're not going to know necessarily whether you factor into that Eastern Conference playoff picture. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I think that sums it up pretty well. Um, one uh, one thing I wanted to ask you real quick, too, was uh, do you see their offense, your offensive strategy changing at all? next season maybe slowing it down more or do you think it's just gonna wrap up the tempo now with uh russell on the roster that's a good that's actually a good question because you want russell to get his one-on-one touches uh, but he can kind of get get those possessions within the flow of the offense the lakers played at the sixth fastest pace in the league last year the lineups that they run out in the aggregate might might say more about that. As as we talked about with Timothy Mozgov, if you're going to play him, you're you're probably not aiming uh, to focus on pace. And if you if you give him 15 or 20 minutes a game, I don't I don't know that you can still be uh, the fastest team in the league. And and yet, you know, when you look at their cushion in that department last year, it, it was pretty sizable relative to the cushions elsewhere. They they averaged almost a possession more per 48 minutes than the second-place Suns. So there, there's room for them to drop off there. I don't think we'll see anything too different. It, I feel like there might be – I think they'll be more efficient overall because they have better talent. We're going to assume that Jeremy Lin is healthy. Uh, but I, I expect to see just most of the same thing. They're going to shoot a ton of threes. I, I'm kind of just more interested in the lineups that they're going to run to get there. And do you kind of see them – going towards full-on small ball where we're going to see Rondé Hollis-Jefferson 95% of the time at the four where we might see um, that baby death unit with, with him playing some five? Do you think that's going to be a focus or do you think it needs to be a focus? Forget about, oh, what will Kenny Atkinson do? Do you think it needs to be a focus or do they kind of need to uh, step back from that and, and maybe try and develop more of, of Jared Allen, uh, give Booker a, a ton of playing time and, and maybe see – excuse me, what they could do with Quincy AC when he plays the five. I think you, I think just in terms of their current roster makeup that they, you, they're going to have to uh, rely on a ton of small ball lineups and that, you know, that you could probably slot Booker into the five and probably Carol. And, and like you said, Hollis Jefferson as well, but you know, you know, like how do I say, um, I, I like Damari Carroll for me, I think is still a good defender as well. And uh, last I checked, I think he was in, and I know you don't want to necessarily rely on individual defensive metrics, but he was 93rd percentile in terms of defending isolations last season. And as well as in the, I think 65th percentile post-ups. So I think like he could be a, so for instance, he could be a good defensive presence at the five maybe not against bigger fives such as like uh boogie cousins but i think you i think you, you they have no other options more or less but to rely on these small lineups at this point all right um, so, so let's do this while we're on the topic what is the lineup you want to see the most of next year can you build me uh your, your favorite nets lineup or the lineup that kenny atkinson needs to play even if it's unconventional Okay. Um, do you, does it matter who's at the? Doesn't matter. Screw positions. Whatever. Okay. You could go full death squad. I, that's probably my pick. Is going to be a hybrid death squad for them. So just just give me your favorite five man combination that you want to see a bunch of minutes from. Okay. Um, Lynn, Russell, Karis Levert, Alan Crab, and five. I guess, uh, I guess I go with Booker, just just to get some size in the, on the interior. That's that would be a fun lineup. That's almost exactly what I would have, except I would replace Booker with Hollis Jefferson and just really lean into the pocket sized uh, lineup. I but the lineup you name mine's probably one of those full on death lineup combinations where it's maybe they'll roll it out in small doses, but the Booker one has the potential to become 
a, a rotation staple, and maybe it's a matter of they'll play Rondé Hollis-Jefferson in there more than they will Karis Levert just because they don't seem comfortable uh, putting him at the four or anywhere but the two, and, and maybe they'll favor him over Alan Crabb, and there'll be this huge trickle-down effect, but uh, that seems like it could be the lion's share variation of yours feels like it, it could be the lineup for this team, where that's the one that we, at the end of the season, we look at and say, wow, they play the most minutes of any unit on this squad. Yeah, and again, like, at some point, and you, you might disagree, but, like, they kind of have to do focus on defense a little bit. And, you know, if they just, if they throw out small lineups like the ones we're suggesting, they're just going to get probably scored on it well if the other team has just any type of post presence so but you know like there's only so much they can do for for now but i i, I think you're right right in terms of just trying to experiment with hollis jefferson or someone like carol at the five because you know what, what do they have to lose this season right and I, I don't even know what their best defensive lineup looks at looks like excuse me it has to have Hollis Jefferson in there. I think Booker would have to be in there as well. So you're probably looking at that as your 4-5 combination. Maybe Damari Carroll then comes in at the 3. And then I think you probably have to go with Lavert at the 2. And I'm going to say Whitehead at the 1. And that that's just not a lineup we're going to see a whole <laughs> lot of because you're keeping both Lynn and Russell on the bench, which... I don't envision them doing much because you want to stagger their minutes that they don't always have to play off of one another. Uh, so that that I'm I'm wondering I'm I'm just looking at it on paper and I don't know what their best defensive lineup that'll actually play a bunch will look like. They have so many different options on the wings and you know what's interesting we've barely mentioned him is Isaiah Whitehead. What do they kind of see for him now that you have Russell uh, and Lynn? They they seem to view him as this tough-nosed defensive prospect i know atkinson likes some of the passes that he made last year uh, i'm i don't obviously it doesn't look like they've given up on his development i'm just kind of intrigued to see how many minutes he gets it almost seems like a situation where it's him or sean kilpatrick at this point or maybe it's him or spencer dimwitty uh, that they'll be choosing between and i don't necessarily know which way they would lean at this point. My guess would be towards Whitehead over either of those guys because they showed a lot of interest in him before they even drafted him, but that seems to be another one of those toss-up conundrums as well. Absolutely, and, you know, it's if you if you really want to focus on the future, I, there, it's, I guess there's kind of two different paths they could take. They could, you know, try to push their hardest to get, 35 wins for this upcoming season or they can you know choose maybe to go the more developmental route and sacrifice a few of those wins um but i i think and i i haven't watched isaiah whitehead as much as probably you have but i i do like the fact i do like his long-term upside at least as a defensive prospect um but he it's going to be tough finding times for or sorry playing time um, but maybe they'll be doing a lot of kind of two-point guard on traditional lineups or mixing, you know, getting like a three-man rotation of Lynn, Russell, and Whitehead in there, which I, I'd be interested in seeing that at least. And I think there'll definitely be room for that. They might even roll out three-point guards at once. You just never know. Maybe it's garbage time and they just want to try something. I'm I'm all for that. Phoenix tried that with Thomas and Dragic and Bledsoe and it, it was fun to watch you know, it, it was definitely combustible but maybe the Nets give it a shot so let, let's see can you give me a who's the breakout player on the roster for this season for you who do you not necessarily want to see break out who do you think is going to be the guy to make a jump in some form or another I think it's going to be Karis Levert I think he's just going to have a season that makes all these makes you know national media kind of say oh hey forgot about that guy <laughs> um, but if if i had to guess i'd say him i'd probably pick him too but just to be contrarian i'm gonna say that it will be ronde hollis jefferson i just believe in him at the four i'm going to i'm gonna just go out on a limb or a lark and just say he's gonna shoot better than He's going to shoot 30% or better from three. If that happens, that'll be fun to watch. That's just a gut feeling. I don't really have a reason for it. 
He's he's effective at the four though. Who do you think is going to be? Who's the guy in this roster that's going to disappoint the most relative to expectations? Mm, and it's hard to say like what anyone's expectations are, but I think Alan Crab would be. Whoa! Like, I know you're a Crab truther, but you know he, in terms of what he brings to the table, he just didn't really. You know, I I've seen some people, very smart people, just say he's like a bottom 10 defender in the league I'm not going to name names um is it adam Frommel? you could say it him and his trash <laughs> takes <laughs> um but and you know maybe he's due for a regression on his outside shooting so I, I, maybe i think and in terms of what he's um what they're paying him and his impact on their salary table going forward i think he might be not a net negative but in terms of they'll have a kind of disappointing impact in this next season. I I just disagree there. It's not even because I'm a crab truther. This just feels like it's the best spot for him, is that he doesn't necessarily need to ever dribble again in Brooklyn. They generated more wide-open three-point attempts last season than anyone but the Houston Rockets. And the big question, I think, as you touched upon, is going to be his defense. Is he ever going to be that switchy guy that everyone – kind of projected him as including myself leading into last summer when I was totally okay with the 75 million dollar offer sheet the, the Nets gave to him um, I'd probably go a little bit the other way and I think that D'Angelo Russell's gonna be a, a little bit of a disappointment with this team I'm, I'm higher on him than Magic Johnson and I think he's really an offensive stud but I don't know that we've necessarily seen enough defensive progress with him and if we expect him to play a bunch of minutes at the two alongside Jeremy Lin. That's going to be a really tough defensive combination between those two. And where, where do you stash him at that point, particularly when you have, let's say, maybe two at most to three guaranteed plus wing stoppers um, on the floor at all times? You might need to hedge your bet, bets excuse me, and make sure that D'Angelo Russell or Jeremy Lin, you stagger them, and then you make sure that Karis LeVert is with them at all times, so that Isaiah Whitehead is the other guard with them at all times, just to have someone who can make the assignments easier. Uh, so I just, just he's a number two pick. He's there on offense, let's say, and maybe that will improve on the Nets. He'll get a chance to play a little bit more off the ball in a more productive fashion. Maybe we'll see his three-point percentage go through the roof. I just don't know that. He, he has what they need, especially on a team like this where they're so flimsy defensively overall. I, I don't necessarily know that we're going to see that improvement from him. Fair enough. And I, I do think you're on to something with the having to handcuff him to certain other players, kind of restricting lineup flexibility. Hadn't really given that much of a thought. But, yeah, that, that could be potentially problematic down the line. Now, before we get to the record projections, what's the over-under on the number of plays Trevor Booker goes end-to-end and you mistake him for LeBron James? Mm. Did that not happen for you last season? I just remember watching him, and I don't know if it was the, the headband, even though LeBron doesn't wear one anymore. I just, I, just watching him go end-to-end, I'm not saying it was this smooth, but uh, watching it on TV or watching it in person, it's like, it looks like LeBron James just barreling up the floor. And mm. I, lo- I love that the Nets have given him that green light at all. I hadn't really thought about it, but he, he does kind of have that like power, like explosiveness to the root, to the rim that LeBron has been doing for the last 15 years. Um, can't say I've ever mistaken the two of them, though. Just visually. I'm going to set the over-under at 100, saying there's a little <laughs> bit more in a play per game. And I'm, I'm going to take the over on that one as well. Okay, I'm going to go with six. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so can you give me a pessimistic baseline for this team and then an optimistic baseline for this team, just looking at, one, their win total and where you could see them standing relative to the rest of the Eastern Conference? Okay, uh, quick question first. What was their record again last season? 20-62. and 62. Okay. I could see... Very worst record, them finishing with 22 wins. Lynn gets hurt for most of the season. Mozgov barely plays. Russell gets hurt. Carroll gets hurt. 
they're essentially playing all these kids and other guys lacking experience and it's kind of like watching the same team that they had put out on the floor last year just minus brooke lopez um if that happens the boston Celtics are gonna have to feel a little foolish because they're making the bet here and i know this is your pessimistic projection but i agree with you i think there's a chance it might, and it's probably a fairly strong chance. I don't know what percentage we'd peg it at. Let's say it's even a 25% chance. If they're the worst team in the league again, and I think it's possible that they could be, I don't expect them to be, but I think it's possible they could be. I just don't. Uh, that's already, the, the Kyrie Irving trade is already a little bit divisive, and if, if the Nets aren't as good as the Celtics are clearly anticipating them to be, uh, th- that trade, it's looked at through an entirely different scope. Absolutely. And I, I to me personally, I, I wrote a piece for your website about it that I'm definitely more optimistic on the Nets' upcoming season. But yeah, there there is you know there is a very good chance that they repeat as the worst team in basketball again. And I say this as someone who thinks that the Hawks, Bulls, and probably the Kings and Magic are as I think are going to be awful next year. So. God, the Bulls and the Hawks are going to be... But I might be able to watch the Hawks. I feel like the Bulls are going to be unwatchable. What do you have for... What would be your optimistic projection for the next... Realistic, realistic optimistic projection, that is. I I could see them winning maximum 35 games. Everything goes what, right? Russell becomes the second-round pick he was supposed to be. Lynn plays a full, healthy season. Karis Levert turns into this awesome swing man that no one saw coming in similar mold as someone maybe like Jay Crowder, but you know, with ball handling skills. That'd be scary. Yes. (laughs) And they, they look like a decent team. Um, The only issue is in that scenario is that um, wait, actually it's, it's 2019. They get their pick back, right? Yeah, this will be the last year the slate will be wiped clean after this summer. Okay, so I, I guess in, 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 if that happens, then they'd have to maybe go full tank again the following season, try and get themselves a top three, top five pick. But um, I, I, I am optimistic about the team's outlook this year. I think Kenny Atkinson is an amazing coach. And I'm not saying that as someone who grew up in the same hometown as him. Um, Are you, though? A little bit? Look. But I think they have a promising future despite, like, you know, having maybe the arguably a bottom pro- – it's not really arguably – a bottom three ro- roster in terms of talent right now. So where would you ultimately put – or actually my first question would be if it looks like they're just on the track toward a bunch of more wins than they would expect, I know they have an incentive not to tank, but if they're going to be on a 35-win, 36-win pace, it's because, or even a 30 markedly 30-plus 30 win pace, it's because you have some guys who are overachieving. And assuming those guys aren't just D'Angelo Russell and we'll say Karis LeVert, do the, should the Nets let it get? To that point, again, you have the incentive to win, but if you can kind of capitalize off the value of some of these other guys at midseason, do you trade yourself out of that surprising win total just because you might be able to recoup a prospect, a low-end prospect who's still under contract, or maybe it's a, a an actual first-round pick that you're able to get? I, I'm, I guess if you look at the roster, it'd be Rondé Hollis-Jefferson's your best bet at getting that. But what if you know another team needs a, a, a shot creator or spot playmaker at midseason and they look at Sean Kilpatrick and they're like, hey, we'll give you this low-end first-round guy who has this year and next year left on his deal before restricted free agency, maybe it Rashad Vaughn or someone from Milwaukee. Could you see them exploring something like that? Or do you think that this team will be pretty tame in terms of moves as they play throughout next year? So I think in an ideal world, a moral win where they win 35 games and their pick falls to, I don't know, the seventh or eighth slot. And, you know, they, they feel all good about it inside. 
I think they would easily and happily sacrifice that and if they could get some sort of asset back for someone on their roster. And like like you said, whether it be a low first round pick for Hollis Jefferson or, you know, maybe a former lotto pick that someone someone else has kind of given up on in year two, I think they should absolutely pull the trigger and they will do those kinds of we will actually see one or two of those moves at before the trade deadline this year so where do you ultimately have them what is your final end-all be-all pro, uh record projection for this net squad i got 33 and 49 wow it's impressive that you went that high i also think it might be more impressive that i'm not like wow this tim is smoking something <laughs> because i could see it i don't even know where to put them i think i'm gonna put them at like 29, 30, 31. If I had to pick an exact number, I'm going to go... I'm going to say 30 and 52. I mean, winning 10 more games is tough. And just you don't know what's going to happen with Lynn's hamstring. You don't know how Russell's going to fit. You're incorporating so many new guys. But the fact that we're talking about 30 wins at all compared to where this team was last year. And I I think there needs to be a disclaimer here that a lot of people, the casual fans specifically, they're not going to tune into the Nets when they're bad. And I get it. But the Nets mm-hmm. were one of those bad teams that were fun as hell to watch last year, at, at least for me. It was just, you know, it wasn't always, it was seldom precise and clean basketball, but it was fun. It was end-to-end, and they shot a lot of threes, and there were just these just glimpses of, of progress from these different guys. And, and there seemed to be, uh, for the most part, these moments where, the or there was always these moments where the effort was always there, and it, it seldom waned. And to see that from a team that knew it was out of contention, uh, that knew it wasn't playing for anything special. Uh, it was just, I, I thought it was a good experience. And then to watch them, to know that they were a team, again, that on paper wasn't all that competitive, to to really play with a consistent fire and to not have all that drama that typically leaks out of these locker rooms, uh, particularly when you're in bigger markets. I know Brooklyn takes a backseat to New York, but look at the Knicks. They're a crap show, and there's just a different tabloid story coming out uh, almost every day. And, yes, the Nets don't have those polarizing personalities, but it comes back to the job it, uh, that Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson have done is that these names, these high-character guys that are in the locker room, I, I think that's a very big deal. That's fair. And I, I think the way I I pictured it is not them making this you know, 12, 13-game leap in wins, but all these other teams regressing to kind of their level. And the way I see it, you can only have so many sub-30-win teams in the league in one year. You know, well, I don't. This upcoming season might prove me wrong, but um, yeah, I I just see them being in the same spot as you know six other teams, maybe even the Knicks if they move Mello at some point during the season as well. Um, you know, just struggling to get to thirty wins. So, Brett, I don't think that's unfair. If you look in the East specifically, you couldn't. I think there's a scenario where you can envision them being better or as good as the Magic, the Knicks, the Pacers, the Hawks, the Bulls. And even if you want to throw the Pacers out of there, we just got to five teams. And, you know, to be in that conversation just like that, you're not even close to the worst team in the NBA anymore if a couple of those things break their way. And, again, you know, the Magic might be better than expected. You know, the Knicks have Chris Stops. Maybe Tim Hardaway Jr. is actually as good as they're paying him, albeit probably not. But... I think at bare minimum, you look at the Hawks, you look at the Bulls, and you look at the Magic, and I don't think you can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that any of those three teams are better than the Nets right now. Absolutely. And I and just, just a sheer uh, being unfortunate and playing in the Western Conference, I'd also put the Kings and the Lakers in that, uh, in that range as well, just because they're, the competition they're going to face week in and week out is going to be... Um, at an unfair level. Yeah, even even the Suns are right there too. You have to oh, think yeah, they'll move Eric Bledsoe eventually, but uh, I, I agree with you there. So I, I think we can get to probably, without stretching, seven or eight teams that uh, the Nets aren't going to be better than all of them, but you can kind of put them in the same territory to where it's they might, in a certain scenario, get more or as many wins as these teams. And that's kind of how I feel. So the fact that I'm being optimistic about this means all the pessimistic projections will come true. But So we're going to end on this. 
who gets back to the playoffs first? And it's obviously not going to be this season, but who gets back to the playoffs first, the Knicks or the Nets? Oh, don't do this to me. I have um, to. I, I'm going to go with the Knicks. Um, and that's solely because Chris Stapps is my tall Latvian son who's only <laughs> two years younger than me. But I, I just think that whereas the Nets might have a couple guys that you know you could build your roster around in the future in Russell and Levert, the Knicks have they have Frank Nikolina who for me is pretty much an unknown quantity at this point, but could have could be an impactful player going forward. I think Willie Hernan Gomez is being slept on by a lot of the league. And Chris Stapps, he's gonna be he's gonna be top ten soon. So but but sorry, let me just throw no, keep going. a there real quick. I could absolutely see that front office messing it up like they have so many times before. And I like Scott Perry. I think he could bring some, you know, some new uh, ideas in that maybe they've been resistant to implement before. But um, I, I could see that front office ruining everything. <laughs> the barometer for their future, and if you ask me right now, since I'm kind of asking myself, I'd probably say that the Nets are going to get back there first just because I have more faith in the front office. And I don't think these two teams are, are that far away right now. If the Knicks are going to get rid of Mello, what is the Nets got better? The Knicks get worse. What is this 11 win gap between them now? Maybe four. Uh, the big thing for me though, is what happens with the Carmelo Anthony trade. If we see that this front office is willing to ride it out and kind of, not just give him to Houston or, or trade him for a crappy return because he wants out and he doesn't necessarily fit their timeline, then maybe you can have a little bit more faith and look at the Tim Hardaway Jr. contract. Is It wasn't the best gamble, but maybe this front office has kind of an inkling of what it's doing, and I agree with you. I, I like Scott Perry, but just looking at the track record and kind of looking at their thinking leading into this offseason – where they clearly they gave out a 2016 contract to Tim Hardaway in 2017. They didn't conserve cap space uh, to really open up the possibility of taking on bad contracts like the Nets did. Brooklyn is just smarter. The Knicks don't use Kristaps right at, at the moment, and yes, he's under team control technically. When you look at how restricted free agency plays out, he probably has at least another four up to six years under their guaranteed control. But what if they screw that up? Are they past moving him just to get rid of Joakim Noah's contract? There's just so much more uncertainty with the Knicks than, than the Nets to me that, that right now, I, I don't expect either of them to make the playoffs this year. But if I had to pick, I honestly think that the Nets will get there before the Knicks. For sure. And I, I think my, my argument was more just like... Uh, Chris Dobbs is God, which is fine. Well... Yeah, and it's just all contingent on like the talent you have on your roster. So, and I, I I completely agree. I think Sean Marks is a genius. I think Nets are doing everything right over there, but they got to get you know that bona fide probable future star with a you know the high lotto pick, or maybe get someone in free agency that before I can like really confidently say that the Nets will surpass the Knicks but it's the Knicks so they'll they'll mess it up and that's where they have a leg up on the Knicks too right I mean the Knicks have that franchise cornerstone and I'm not trying to undersell Kristaps because he's fantastic Uh, so the Knicks have the advantage there but if you're a free agent right now where are you going the Nets or the Knicks and I don't even think it's close you're going to the Nets absolutely and yeah like, like you said at the beginning of the podcast they just built this amazing in-house culture that's kind of that i'm sure it's, it's going to weigh heavily in someone's decision down the line to uh whether if they're going to sign there or not so so that's where we'll end this nets preview we're just going to compliment them at the expense of the knicks i think that's probably a, a very good place and accurate place <laughs> very to fitting if you want to talk to tim Moore about his blistering hot totally logical though nets takes you can get at him on twitter at stubhub it is at S-T-U-B-B-H-U-B. If you want to talk to me more uh, on Twitter about my Nets takes, I'm at Dan Favale. That's F-A-V-A-L-E. If you want to talk to Andy on Twitter, he's at Andrew D. Bailey, spelled exactly like it sounds. Please follow NBA Math at NBA underscore math and also follow 
Hardwood Knox at Hardwood Knox. As always, we love for you to give us ratings on iTunes and subscriptions and reviews, even if they're not necessarily nice. We just want to know that that you're listening because I don't want to have to put test questions in here and then quiz you guys on Twitter. Um, and since Andy is not here, we will not have to give out a shout-out to Ben Udry once again, which means that I'm basking in all of my own personal glory. So until next time. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port-in of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hi, I'm Rick, store director from the Mill Valley Safeway. Our pick four sales back with over 100 items to choose from. It's simple. Mix and match any four participating items. That's right, any four. They don't have to be the same, so mix and match away. Here's a few to choose from. Lean Cuisine and Stouffer's Simple Dishes or Signature Classics Entrees, 6 to 13 ounce selected varieties, only $1.77, and Kellogg's Cereal 10 to 12 ounce, $1.69 each when you buy four. Look for the red tags in store. This is Rick from the Mill Valley Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.